and welcome to Mindset, an HCD vidcast, where we dive into the world of applied consumer neuroscience and market research with leading experts in the field. My name is Michelle Nigella, PhD in Behavioral Neuroscience and Director of Research and Innovation at HCD. And I'm Catherine Ambrose, the Manager of Behavioral and Marketing Sciences with HCD. As your hosts, we are going to act as the buzzkills for the buzzwords, taking time to critically think about the limitations and pitfalls of emerging trends and topics within the field to help you identify what innovation has a lot of untapped potential or is too good to be true. Now, HCD is a full-service research house which provides research capabilities on consumers by looking at how they perceive, evaluate, and respond to different types of stimuli, such as looking at product experiences, communications, or just general consumer and shopper experiences. We use a combination of tools that come from psychology, physiology, neuroscience, as well as the traditional methods that people typically use to see how they experience different stimuli. That stimuli can range from the early stages of exploration all the way through the final product validation tests. This is what we refer to as applied consumer neuroscience. So stick around for more curious conversations as we chat our way through the ever-evolving space of consumer science. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mindset. We are so happy to have you back today, and we're really excited to be joined by the one and the only Allison Gutkowski. Allison, welcome back to the show. Hi, happy to be here. Uh, how are you doing? Good? I'm doing good. It's a Friday afternoon. It's going to be a beautiful weekend, so I'm excited. Exactly. So we're recording on a Friday. You'll be listening on a Monday, but it's uh, we have good vibes going today. And um, we're going to be chatting a bit about a topic that I actually saw on YouTube. Uh, it came up on LinkedIn and then I kind of went on a spiral a little bit interested in it because it, it struck me. It's this idea of debranding. And so there was this really short Bloomberg uh, opinion video that we're going to share in the link below. And it was this narrated discussion by Ben Scott, who was basically talking about how companies are changing their logos. And we've seen it as a company that trends like are evolving and that companies have to evolve with people. We've done brand tracking in the past and we know the value in it, but also what could happen if you're not taking care and not really doing what you can to stay connected to your consumers. And so I thought it would be a really good opportunity for us to chat with Allison, who is our brand harmony expert, I would say <laughs> at HCD. Uh, have you ever heard of the idea of debranding before? Not necessarily when it is put into that term, but I think we're all aware of it. Mm -hmm. We're all aware that every how many years brands seem to change their logos. But I think it's been really interesting because as there used to be a sense of more is more, mm -hmm. right? We had all of these like great graphics, less is more now. And I think the, um, it makes a lot of sense as to why that is right. Yeah. So what, what are some of the things that you've seen that you think are encouraging this trend to go forward? Is it just the fact that people are, are changing, or do you think that there's actual other reasons that would be like pushing this notion along to make it have less depth, have less detail, be a little bit, it was actually described as flat. Um, do you think there's any 
big reasons for that? I do. And I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg. I think general design trends right now are going towards more minimalism, more simplistic um, types of streamlined, uh, a little bit more sophisticated in their design coming out of that kind of more is more idea. So I think there's just a general trend in design um, towards that space. But also when we think about how these logos are now being experienced, right? Gone are the days where we're seeing our favorite ads on TV. I don't even have cable anymore. I don't see ads, right? Seriously. All the ads that I see now are on my phone, are on the computer, on my tablet. So they are in such a small space mm -hmm. that brands and logos are now having to adapt to that. Being more simplistic in that space allows them to ultimately be clear and be even easier to digest and view in those spaces. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I'm right there with you. I also don't have cable. I <laughs> totally given that up a few years ago now, and I haven't looked back. And part of the perk is that especially as a consumer myself, I don't have to deal with the ads, but the thing is advertisements are still all around us and we're, we're still experiencing advertisements, whether we recognize it or not. And I think the most important thing with this idea of debranding is kind of almost fitting into the UX space of how can we share our message or be recognizable as easily as possible, as simply as possible. And I think that what you mentioned before, a lot of the advertisements come from our phone. And so you don't want things to be extremely pixelated or anything like that. And you want it to be fast. You want it to be something that is seamless. And part of the process of having things move quickly and be easily digestible is keeping things simple. We always say, uh, at least when we're making our own content for HCD or whatever it is, it's like, keep it simple, stupid. It's that simple acronym that you're like, you know what? It's better to keep things simple, keep it so that way people understand you before you get bogged down in all the details. And it's really easy to over-design. Yeah. Especially I come from a graphic design background. You spend so much time and effort on these things when they're so simple, you feel like they're almost so simple, but that's when it's harder to do, right? Think about why was Apple so successful? Because mm -hmm. it was so simple. You did not have to think, well, that's really hard to do successfully yeah. to make you not have to think, but still be impactful and not introduce any type of usability issues. And the same thing goes now for these logos that are very, very small. When you have too much now trying to fit into, let's say the little corner on your screen or the little icon um, for the Instagram profile or whatever right. it is, you can't have as much detail because it's going to get muddied and it's going to be overwhelming. You're more impactful when there is less there. Yeah. It's totally that notion of less is more. And there's been a couple examples that I've noticed that were mentioned in that video I re referred to earlier. They actually brought up the Pringles man and how he had a complete makeover, uh, which I thought was very funny, but it's, actually all around us. It's companies like Burger King. It's companies like Pfizer. It doesn't matter the industry. Everybody's recognizing that there has to be some type of a makeover to make things really intuitive, to make things really quick. And I think that also speaks to the consumer because 
our attentions are fleeting. You know, we were just saying how we, we intentionally try everything we can to avoid ads, to get to the content that we're looking for. And that's part of this visual experience. Yeah. And I, when you first said debranding, I immediately thought of more so the social impact of debranding and moving away some from some problematic types of, of logos. Now we have mm-hmm. the Washington football team. We have the Pearl Milling Company. We just have Benz. Um, so there's a whole type of really big movement and shift happening towards rebranding. And it's great because that's how we move forward. And whatever it is today, it's not going to be in 10 years because consumers continue to evolve. Just overall trends continue to evolve. But it's so interesting to see how we've just pared down as much as possible. But what's going to be the next step? Obviously, we don't know what that is, but I'm really interested in as we move towards the future of technology, the future of how we consume brands and content and um, marketing materials. What does that look like? I don't know. What do you think, Catherine? How are we going to consume our ads in the future? What do you think? I really, I mean, there's a few things that seem to be, and and I I go back and forth a little bit because part of me thinks that the idea of Web three and you know the metaverse is really gaining steam. I actually just saw yesterday that Spotify is now trying to include NFT. Um, images, non-fungible tokens, I believe it's what it's called, um, have these NFTs paired with the artist so that there's almost like a gallery while you're watching them, while you're listening to the music and they're testing out these different approaches. Um, and so those NFTs that are associated with the artist could easily turn into ads. And I know that, um, companies are also creating their own NFTs and trying to be more future facing. And, and so the idea of, the metaverse is really going to be a space that people are going to be consuming things. And I don't know how, I don't know if it's a trend or if it's something that's going to be, you know, withstanding for the test of time, but we'll see. And it's so funny because I am slightly, slightly older than you, not, not by much, but I remember when I had a cell phone, I had a really cool, like slider phone. It had like a clear blue case on it. I was the coolest <laughs> person. Um, but I remember saying, well, I have a cell phone and I have a camera. Why would I ever want a camera in my phone? I already have. <laughs> right. And now like, could you yeah. ever imagine not having absolutely not really high quality camera built into your phone? Like that's just not an option. Right. Um, but right. I had a very kind of unique perspective on that. And I still have a lot. And I think I kind of carry that very, I'm not an early adopter of technology. Let's just say that, right. (laughs) I have a very interesting or probably different view of the metaverse. Like when we grow up with this technology, so like the next generation down, that's just going to be their normal. And we're going to be, you know, like, oh, when I was a kid, I didn't have a phone. What I didn't have a camera in my You and your TikToks. <laughs> but it's interesting to see, well, now are brands going to have to be more cognizant of who's using what type of portal to consume? Absolutely. And then how are they going to adapt to that? Because I think that we now have so many more channels, right? You used to have like radio, TV, movie, like print just a very limited, limited number of ways that you could consume ads and consume medias. And that's not the case anymore. You have an extremely different 
experience if you're on TikTok versus if you're on YouTube, if, or if you're watching cable TV. Right. So it's, it's more challenging now than ever, I think, for brands to really try to change. And like, we haven't even talked about the last, right, two, three years at this point with the pandemic and then how that has completely changed everything that we expect from brands, just the way that we consume, the way that we live our lives. Yeah. It's It's so different and paring down and making things more digestible is really interesting. But I love the, also the idea of brands having to be more responsible for some of their past and debranding in a way that's going to move us forward as a culture, as a society towards being more thoughtful, being more um, kind of taking ownership of, you know, brands that have been around for 130 years are never going to be perfect. And a brands that are here today in 130 years are going to be super problematic. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's just a really interesting time, I think, to be kind of tracking this and having this conversation. Yeah. And I really appreciate what you said, especially when it comes to setting the narrative about picking what your brand identity is going to be. I think that's a really big challenge for any type of company to decide what their brand's going to be. And when you have this omni-channel experience that it's almost like, how do you control that narrative when you have so many different mediums that are having different, you know, that are being consumed in different ways. And so if you have a TikTok that goes out, that doesn't necessarily align with the Instagram post that you put out, it seems like you are inauthentic. And I do think it's important, like you said, that brands take ownership of their past experiences because there are some ramifications that happen if the logo changes, but the brand remains the same, you know, is that you can't just put paint on something and say, oh, we're a new company. You really have to walk the walk and talk the talk. Mm -hmm. And I do believe people care about this. Have you also noticed that in, in what people, um, in what people are consuming that they're a little bit more conscious of the brands that they're willing to invest in? Oh, absolutely. And I want to point and shout out to one of our um, clients, Porter Novelli. So they are um, one of their really mottos of their company is social responsibility. Mm. Um, And we have done research with them that shows that you can't just right put, um, you know, Black Lives Matter up on your Instagram post. The consumer knows they're going to call you out if you are not taking action to what you speak. We as a society are holding everyone much more accountable in a good way or in a bad way. We all are human, but as a big brand or as any type of brand, you owe your consumers that type of truth. And if you are going to try to have some type of social responsibility, that consumer is really going to expect you to actually show them what are you actually doing besides putting this post up, which can take 30 seconds, right? I want to see action beyond that. And that really will drive trust in a brand. It will drive even loyalty in a brand and wanting to actually purchase those products from companies that are really socially responsible. Yeah. And I think that it's a very there's a certain level of maturity that comes about too, when you go through that process of debranding, or I've Mm -hmm. actually heard it uh, referred to as blanding because it's like, you're actually stripping it down. You're making it more bland. And it's the goal is to make it more professional, but being professional also requires you to be taking ownership and really, you know, 
recognizing, is this the space that I should be speaking out in? Is there that brand harmony mm-hmm. where that meets the brand's perceptions or what um, the consumer is perceiving about the brand? Yeah. And I love the idea of brand harmony. I want to get to that in a second, but something that you said about blending is so interesting, right? Because a lot of the research that we do is around how different fonts, colors, um, shapes, everything like that can drive perceptions in a different way. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask the question, like, do we think by blending or debranding, simplifying, streamlining, whatever we want to call it, are we losing our unique footprint Mm. that we used to have? I don't know. I personally don't think so, but I understand, right? Because now everyone is having a very streamlined, I shouldn't say everyone, but much more popular streamlined type of font. And even in the video that's linked below, if you look at, right, the little black dress company. So it talks about how a lot of the fashion labels are moving towards very simplified little black dress logos. That's black text, right? Mm -hmm. When you look at those, they do look very similar. They're almost using the same font. What's different? where what words are bolded sometimes the space in between words but you do get a little bit of a sense of their different personalities but when everyone's moving in that direction how much could how far possibly, should you go right you're you're kind of you are blending together potentially yeah yeah and it's also like do you want to fight against the current and be that company that doesn't go with the trend because then that's suggestive of you not hearing your consumers and recognizing Mm -hmm. that people are looking for something that's a little bit more sleek, something a little bit more minimalistic. And so that's a really good point. How do brands stand out if they're trying to stay simple and sophisticated? Because it's true. If everybody has that same black text, you just get lost in the sauce. Like it's, it's really challenging. And I just to go back to brand harmony, Mm -hmm. I think brand harmony is in the mix of this because we know that communication is not just about branding, but it's how the product works and how the packaging works and the customer service and the user experience, all those things go together. And so it's like, there are opportunities for you to stand out. It's Mm -hmm. just, how are you going to utilize them? Yeah, but the simplicity also offers up a space to play. Mm-hmm. So Warner Brothers has stripped down into being very kind of just sleek two colors. Well, hey, that allows them then in the beginning of let's say every movie to customize that Warner Brothers logo to fit what is the vibe? What am I going to expect, right? Brand mm-hmm. harmony. What am I going to expect from the experience? that is about to happen. It gives you that little teaser. It gives you that expectation about what's coming, right? Is it something that's really fun and playful? Is it something a little bit more dark? They literally change up this logo in anticipation and for harmony of what you're about to experience. I love that. That's a very good example. And I, and I agree, like, it sounds so nerdy, but the Harry Potter, like I'm picturing, we all know it. (laughs) I'm picturing the Warner brothers, Harry Potter. Like it's yes. Yeah. It's and I think like at one point, right, there's like the clouds go over it, like the yep. moon comes out, like, and we know that. Why do we know that? Right. right? right. It, it's such a, that branding moment is such an opportunity. It's a bit of a shadowing. It, it, it absolutely, right. As the movies get darker and darker, <laughs> we're about to nerd out real hard right here in Harry Potter. <laughs> as the movies get darker and darker, 
and as the series goes on, you know, in the beginning, that Warner Brothers logo right. starts to get darker and darker and darker <laughs> to like the very last movie. You're like, this is a horror movie. Like, I am expecting <laughs> this to be a horror movie, and it is. But <laughs> like, you have that opportunity to play when there is some more simplicity and involved. But also going back to the idea of harmony, it's the a brand is not its logo. It's mm-hmm. everything else that it does as well, from the packaging to the way that it's presenting itself, it's social responsibility, it's everything. And making sure that that is harmonious, mm-hmm. that's what's going to create your brand personality. That's what's going to create your unique footprint. And it all has to be cohesive and really tell the consumer the same thing. You have to imagine every single piece of an experience that they have with your product, whether they're in the store, they're at home, they're on the go, they're you know blindly reaching into their bag to grab something out. That is all telling them something about your brand and about your product and thinking about every single one of those elements and how you want to communicate your brand is so important. I mean, even right. Um, there's some great research from Mimi Morin when she was in t- at Temple that looks at the sheen of a chip bag and simply just the sheen of a chip bag can tell can communicate whether the the product is healthy or not, or influence perceptions as to whether the product is healthy or not, right? That level of detail, that small, small, small factor can communicate with the consumer. So think about everything and think about that story, that brand story that you have, and really putting the time to consider this harmonious story. And it's, it's only getting more challenging as we have all of these different channels of communication but really making sure it's consistent will build up your brand equity. Interesting. And so what do you think would be a useful way to find a guiding light? Because it can get so easily, easily bogged down in trying to please everyone. You end up pleasing nobody and you don't have an identity because you're just this chameleon of one and a half million things. So what would you say is a useful way to kind of consolidate and simplify what you need to do, whether it be, you know, using implicit tests or using, um, you know, something like brand tracking, what would you recommend? So the number one thing is get a very clear idea of who your brand is. And this is a little bit more for, let's say, established brands, as opposed to new brands. So if you're an established brand and you have, and you're on that brand team, you know what that brand is. Mm-hmm. you know, in the company's mind. Is that the same as what the consumer thinks the brand is? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's not aligned. You're doing great at communicating and um, evoking one thing, but maybe not necessarily in another area. So the first thing that's so important is to see, does what you try to promote the brand to be, does that align with the consumer's actual perceptions of the brand? And you can look at that through um, very you know, just exploratory qualitative research, looking at it through um, different types of implicit association. So what are different attributes or emotions that a consumer associates and connects with your brand? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they're not aligned and that's okay. We're never going to be hundred percent perfect. We're never going to hit the, the bullseye every single time, but understanding what are you doing really well 
in terms of communicating what you want? And where maybe is there that opportunity for you to communicate that a little bit better Mm -hmm. and look at some of the things that you're doing and think, how can we maybe elevate this specific attribute or this specific area a little bit better? When you're a new brand, really making sure that that's very clearly defined in what you want to communicate and really laid out and thinking about every different touch point that the consumer will have with that brand. And as you continue to move forward, you have that really that 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 Bible of who you are as a brand that you can constantly be going back and checking through different types of exercises. So, for example, we talked about implicit association, right? Who are we as a brand? Well, we can be testing for harmony back to the brand. So if we have new, let's say, um, packaging coming out. Mm-hmm. You can use the same attributes that you know that your brand is to test that packaging. Is it aligned? Is it cohesive? Is it harmonious with those same exact attributes? You can do the same thing with an ad or with a concept, um, with a product experience, a fragrance. You can really leverage that marketing language and those attributes to ensure that every single touch point is going to be harmonious. And if it's not enough, you're never going to have that 100% fit, but really it can help you make a more informed decision when you have, for example, two products, three products that are very well liked, they're not maybe statistically differentiated from one another. Great. They're well-liked products. We're a wonderful company. We make well-liked products. Right. Okay. So, but what's going to be the best business decision? These are obviously multi-million dollar decisions that we're trying to make. Look, what is going to be the most harmonious for the brand that can really then pull one of these products that is still very well liked up to the top and say, you know what, for our brand, this is going to be most cohesive and expected, but like in a, in a good way, as opposed to, let's say, selecting a product that has a little bit more of a disconnect between the brand Mm -hmm. and what the product experience actually is, because right. If it's a very well-liked product, obviously it's a well-liked product, but the consumer is not using that product in the store and then deciding if they want to buy it or not, right? They're buying it because they have that expectation of what I should expect from this specific brand that I'm buying. And if I take that home and that expectation is not then met, yeah, then there's there that disconnect. So you might get that first purchase, mm-hmm. but are you going to get that repurchase? Which is and much, much harder. Do you believe that the notion of debranding, because anytime a company changes anything, there's risk involved. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there is a greater amount of risk when they try to do this debranding? And I, do you think that by doing a test with the brand harmony, it's almost helping you understand your risk perception? I love the idea of alienation Mm -hmm. because change is good. We expect change and we need change. When change happens too quickly, that's where it becomes extremely risky. Right. And it is kind of this balance between art and science, right? Because what there's no dial that you're turning that says this amount of change is going to be okay for every single brand. Right. I think it really depends. It depends on where you're starting from. It depends on where you want to go, but it may make sense if you have your end goal in sight that slowly over time, debranding might be good, Mm -hmm. but obviously every step of debranding is extremely expensive. So it's kind of that look at risk, but maybe it is something that we can, I think 
it's very category dependent. It's very brand dependent on, and very creative dependent on how quickly we can de-brand. Well, and it, it also, it goes back to really knowing yourself as a brand and going back to that brand identity, because if you want to represent yourself as a tech forward company or being an open-minded company, you should walk the walk and talk the talk. It's important for you to be able to say, okay, we have this logo that we've used and it's from, you know, the 1980s and life has changed and we don't want these bright colors anymore, or we can make a little, um, you know, like homage almost to it in, in some ways, but it doesn't have to be blaring in, in this new age of whatever you want that branch mature to be. And it's very interesting, right? If you have, you have to stay with the times though, because that's where it becomes, is it too late to make the change that you want to make? Right. So for example, if we're still with a logo that we had in the eighties, if you try to bring it up to today, that's going to be a huge change just because things were different, right? Design trends were different. Expectations were different. That's a huge change. So you have to stay relevant and continue to evolve before you get to the point where you need to evolve so far that it becomes really, really challenging, right? It's like digging yourself into a hole. You don't want to get too deep (laughs) because you want to still be on the surface and being top of kind of the, the consumer trends and innovation. And not to say consumer trends like, oh, today we're really into like crop tops. Mm -hmm. No, thinking about like lifestyle changes, right? Like going back to the pandemic, our lifestyles have changed drastically. And we need to now reacquaint ourselves with our consumers and get to know them again now with where they are, right? You and I are both sitting at home where, right? 2019 and prior, we would have been in the office together doing this podcast, but that's just not the world that we live in anymore. And can you imagine if we had to go back to the office, right? That would now be a huge, as big of a shift as it was in the beginning, it would be a humongous shift back. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point to bring up is that your consumers are not the same people that they were pre-pandemic. Everybody experienced something so incredibly difficult and um, kind of, it helped people reshape their priorities and their and their perspectives on a lot of things. So you might want to revisit your consumers and say, you know what, maybe whatever normative data we have isn't meeting them where they are today, because that historic data is just not as, as valuable as who they currently are in this moment. And think about, we talked about the pandemic and kind of that, but think about everything else that has happened in the last two years as well, from politically, socially, culturally, not only within the United States, but around the world, there's been a lot because definitely there was fuel added to the fire where people were so kind of uprooted with their lives that the kind of changes of the time were so magnified and so heightened. And again, we're expecting different things from our from our brands, right? Think about going back to Aunt Jemima now, Pearl Mill and Company, mm. Uncle Ben's to Ben's. It's was all sparked through, yes, kind of in the last couple of years, but what was happening at that time? And we just expect different things now from our companies. Absolutely. And I think it, again, like it, it's important to be aware. You have to be aware, you have to be conscious and and more importantly, be okay with the idea of change 
don't be scared of it, but do it informed, make informed decisions. So that way, you know what you're doing and that you, you do it with the expectations of bettering yourself. Nobody's going into this thinking, you know what, let me try to overpower my brand with crazy visual personalities. They're, they're, they're trying to do this professionally. And if you do it strategically, it could really benefit you in the long run because the consumers see that they're like, Oh, this, I love this upgrade. I love how sleek this is. This is, this is what I'm trying to emulate in my life. I'm trying to be more tech forward. I'm trying to be more sleek and, um, and yeah, it, it becomes the identity that resonates with the consumer is, is what's going to ultimately attract them to come back. And like you were saying before, not just do the initial purchase, but have the repurchase. And then again, build and strengthen that loyalty. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So I, I think this is a good place for us to go into your favorite segment, which um, is no. <laughs> the react attack. Um, and basically for anybody that's new here, that's listening, I'm just going to say a word as fast as I can. And Allison's just going to say the first thing that comes to her mind. It's 10 words all about the idea of our conversation today. And Allison, are you ready to go through this? I promise if anything's terrible, we'll bleep it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. As long as you have the bleep button available, I think that's good. (laughs) We'll we'll talk to our producer, Helen, about it. And hopefully we can make some, uh, we'll pull some, pull some uh, little clips there. Okay. I hope I do better than I did last time. No, I felt like I just, my mind completely like blank slate last time. Okay. All right. So first word, Harry Potter. Voldemort. (laughs) Phones. iPhone. Pepsi. Coke. Logos. Coke. <laughs> Fashion. The black dress, because we were just listening, or we were just talking about that with the logos. I love that. Simplify. Easy. Corporate identities. <sighs> Complicated. Avatars. Blue. <laughs> <laughs> Web3 completely lost. (laughs) And the last word is evolution. Fun. Awesome. So that was way better. That was, that was so much better. I I have a question for you. Yeah. Surprise question. Um, and I will preface this with forecasts are always wrong Mm -hmm. as someone has to do the forecast for the company always wrong. (laughs) So forecast now we're like de-branding we're sleek, we're simplifying. Mm -hmm. What's the next trend? what's the next trend? Interesting. I think, I mean, like part of me really wants to say it's a race to getting more digital. Like, I think that you have to be ready to exist not only in the physical world, but in the digital world. And that's, that's why I threw the word avatar in there. I can see why you said blue. (laughs) I just watched the trailer for the new avatar movie. Um, but I I say avatar, what do you, what comes to your mind? I I think of a profile. Like I think of literally like a profile of a person and Mm -hmm. you know how, um, basically it's, you're creating these segments of different people in the market and they, they're represented by this avatar. You can have this almost typology of a certain type of consumer. Um, but going back to your question in terms of what's coming, I really do think it's this race toward digitalization. I think that we need, well, we, as in every company that is trying to stand out needs to be comfortable with the idea that our phones are attached to us at all times, that 
there, um, we do have digital avatars and we should be able to recognize that and use it because that's going to be where you connect with your consumer. It's going to be through the dumb TikToks. It's going to be through, um, you know, it's, it's going to be through even just what they're interacting with on their phone. I really feel like that is the space that everyone is heading in. I don't know how novel that is because that's a duh answer. Like, I think that's very obvious, but, um, I, I do feel like this, there is this pulse that's going in that direction. What, it, what are your predictions? I am like, I love, and this is personal. I love um, the cars that have like the light that shines down. That's the logos. Mm, interesting. So I'm thinking it's more like, ho- like holographic interactive or <laughs> augmented right that's augmented reality right yeah it's going to be a more type of augmented reality type of experience where brands are not just like even just on our phones or just wherever but they're kind of integrated into the world that we live in more so than they are already yeah and that it's kind of interesting you say that because recently I was watching um a Sixers game, maybe it was Sixers. It was either Sixers or like a hockey game. Maybe it was the Rangers, but I was watching some sport event with Andrew and, um, while we were watching it, I realized that the advertisements that are on the ice were in some of the shots, but not in other ones. And he was like, yeah, "Yeah, that's not actually there. Yeah. Part of like, when you're watching at home, they stick it there, they put the, the graphic or whatever. But if you go to the actual stadium, it's going to change per, per game or whatever right. it is. So right. yeah, I think that is a space that's going to be very up and coming, but Allison, before I let you go, where can people reach out to you? If they want to ask you questions about debranding, about brand harmony, how can they find you? Um, you can find me actually that probably the easiest way to find me is if you go to the HCD website and just fill in one of the contact forms in, you know, contact us that actually goes right to me, um, along with some other people, but that goes right to me. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can email me directly. So it's my first name dot last name at hcdi.net. Helen insert here. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I love to talk about it. Just like you, just like Michelle, you love talking about this stuff and can go on and on. It's a shame that mindset episodes have to be relatively reasonably length, right? (laughs) (laughs) It is, it is, but thank you so much for joining us and until next time we'll have you back. Um, thank you. And I hope everybody listening takes care. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye everybody. HCD mindset is produced by Helen Ross. For more information or updates, follow HCD Research on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at HCD Research Inc. and at HCD Neuroscience. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and be sure to rate, review, and follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you and stay tuned for more curious conversations.